0: All right, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to look at some very familiar passages, scripture. We've talked about these before, but I want to talk about them again. Question is, can I make disciples? Can I make disciples? We're in a series called the Great Old Mission. The Great Old Mission. Uh, which is disciple-making in the church. Some, somewhere along the line, the church began to be more concerned about building the church than making disciples. We begin to have things like church growth conferences and figure out how to get more people into the church, and we begin to change things and begin to, to appeal to felt needs. In the uh, communities and, and stuff, and so we changed our music, we changed the, the dress, you know, and we changed a lot of things. And we have, and churches were fairly successful getting people in, in into the building, and and the church grew numerically. Then another church would pop up over here with a better, newer widget program, and and people went that way, and then. They were there and they were happy for a while, and then another group over here popped up with a new instrument in their band, and they all went over there for a while, and and the church began to shift sheep, and and we needed more programs, and to get more programs, we had to pay more staff because people were busy, and people began to look at the church for what it could do for them, not what they could do. For the church, and I I really, as I've looked at this message and looked at the uh, what the scripture says, I almost feel like I need to apologize to the church for what has happened to us over the years, because it's it's led us to a sense of, uh, well, let me just say this: Jesus never told us to build the church. He said, "I will build the church." You know what he told us to do? Make disciples. See, folks, if you make disciples. The church will be built, but you can build a church and not have disciples and just have a crowd. There, there's a big old church in another city, in another state that I won't name, that's, they've got a crowd. And a lot of people show up because they've got great music. And they've got a brief sermon that basically gives you some warm and fuzzies, and people flock to that place. But, folks, I want to tell you something they're not making disciples. Not making disciples. And what happens if we're not careful is it leads to a sense of dissatisfaction. It leads to a sense of of even entitlement. One one writer said he, he believes the reason for the church hopping and the gremlin and the conflict in the church today lies in the, and the and the overworked workers we have because we have a few people doing what most what we all need to be doing. It it, it, it all goes back to this fundamental thing that we have somehow some way kind of relegated to a program or to another thing or, or whatever. And, and so, I want to talk about that today. Two Sundays ago, we looked at Jesus' original invitation to discipleship. And it's interesting. When he called uh, James and John and Peter and Andrew, he says, Follow me and I'll make you to feel good. It's not what he said, was it? Follow me and I'll entertain you. It's not what he said, is it? Follow me and I'll help you find your best life now. Now, what did he say? Follow me and I'll help you to become fishers of men and those guys were ordinary guys they were not theologians they were not trained they were not educated they were just common ordinary blue-collar workers and yet because they believed the lord and followed him god used those guys to change the world 11 men changed the world why i believe because they Follow Jesus as disciples who made disciples, and we talked about that last week, if you didn't, or two weeks ago. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message, I encourage you to go online to our website; they're up there. Listen to it. I think it, you know, it it helps us. But today I want us to look at Matthew twenty eight because I want to answer this question: Can I make a disciple? Can Can you make a disciple? What? Well. I'm all for disciples, but who makes them? Well, I think that's the clergy job, right? This church job. Well, folks, listen to me. One of the reasons the church is in the shape it's in today is because we've allowed a few people to do all the work. The pastor can't do it. My job is not to make, my job is to equip us all as we all make disciples together. And so I want to talk to us today about that and want us to stand and read this passage again. I want to start with verse 17 because sometimes we leave this verse out, but it's kind of where I want to, I want to roost a little bit today. Verse 17, Matthew 28. Listen to what Jesus says, or listen to what Mark, Matthew records this and says, And when they saw him, that, that is the resurrected Jesus. Jesus had been resurrected. He had been teaching these disciples for 40 days. We don't know all that he did. We know a little bit, but we don't know all that he did. But wouldn't you love to have known? Wouldn't you love to have heard Jesus teach him? And, and so Jesus is teaching him, And then he's getting ready to go home. He's getting ready to ascend. And it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But this is the part that just blows me away. But some doubted. What were they doubting? Jesus, they'd seen him crucified. They'd seen him as resurrected. They'd seen him for 40 days. And What were they doubting? Well, we'll talk about that. But then Jesus came and said to them. And I wonder if he was talking to those who doubted. Not just to his... The rest of them, but specifically to the ones who doubt. This is what he says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Can I make disciples? Let's pray together today. Father, as I come before you today, you know my need. You know, Father the battles that we faced and, and Father, you, you know what you put on my heart and uh, God, I just pray today that you'll just give me the words I need to say God, you'll give us ears that we can hear and God, you'll let us catch this original vision of what we're called to do because Father, I believe you can make all the difference in the world in our hearts and in our churches And in this old world, I pray, God, you'll do a work among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Can I make a disciple? First of all, I want you to see the worries of the disciples. Verse 17 has always confused me, just to be real honest. It sounds like some of the most committed followers of Jesus, some of his disciples, some of these people who had followed Jesus for three years... Had seen him do miracle after miracle, heard him teach, heard him predict his death, saw him crucified, saw him resurrected, had heard him for 40 days, were now standing in the presence of the resurrected Jesus, doubting. And I'm thinking, seriously? What in the world were they doubting? They'd they'd seen, the, the, the Gospels record, they'd seen Jesus and his resurrected body at least three other times before this. They'd heard him teach for 40 days during the resurrection. What were they doubting? They doubted. What? What were they doubting? And so I looked up the word doubt in the dictionary. And th- my dictionary says doubt is to question the reliability of something or someone. And I thought, well, that's kind of what I'm, I'm wondering. What, what, are they questioning the validity of Jesus? I mean, they've seen him. They've heard him. I mean, seriously. what? A word. And then and then I looked in a Bible dictionary and looked up the word doubt and discovered that the word can mean this being uncertain about taking a particular course of action literally to hesitate and i've discovered that the word is a it's a figurative word that depicts a person at a split in the road not sure about which way to go they're leaning this way one moment And then this way, the next moment, and they're kind of wavering. It it was also the picture of a scale, you know, one of those old scales that you put weights on either side. And it was a picture of a scale where the weights were almost even and the the scale would kind of waver back and forth, waver back and forth. That's what the word doubt means, to to waver, to, to hesitate. In other words, these disciples were hesitating. I think they were hesitating not because they didn't believe Jesus was resurrected. I believe they were hesitated because they were doubting themselves. They were not sure if they had what it took for what lay ahead of them. They were standing there thinking, I wonder if I can do this. I wonder if I have what it takes. I wonder if I know enough. I wonder if I'm strong enough. I wonder if they they crucify me or if they imprison me, will I be able to stand the test? I wonder if I have enough. I wonder if I'm enough. If I have enough resources, enough ability, enough know-how. And as I thought about that, I thought about maybe that's some of the way we feel about when we hear the word disciple-making. And can I make a disciple? And we, we hesitate. Sure, we know we're supposed to do it because Jesus said, and we would all agree, well, Jesus said to do it. But I'm not sure I can do it. I'm not sure I have enough. I'm not sure I, I know enough. I, I'm not sure I have what it takes. I mean, I've never been to seminary. I, 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 I've never been to Bible college. I, I don't know all the Old Testament like I need to. I don't have the New Testament down like I, I need to. I don't, you know, I, I just wonder if I have enough. Well, none of us have enough. <laughs> None of us know enough. Some people think that discipleship is only for the qualified. It's only for the professionals, the pastor, the staff, the the super Christians. But I would just remind us today that every one of the original disciples were lay people. They had never been to seminary. They didn't have a Bible education. They were just ordinary blue-collar laborers. The the Sanhedrin looked at him after Jesus was crucified, and they were preaching, and they were common. They said they were just common, an ordinary, educated men. So, being qualified is is you don't have to go to seminary, you don't have to have a Bible degree, or go through thirty six weeks of training to make a disciple. Evidently, uh, some people think, well, I'm just not worthy. I mean, I, I'm not worthy to, to, to invest in other people's lives, to help people know about Jesus, to help people understand their Bible. I mean, if you, if you just knew my past sin, my past life, or, or I just don't have the personality. I'm not an outgoing kind of guy. I'm not, I'm not a, a people kind of person. or, or I, just don't, I just don't have the knowledge or the discipline. I just don't know enough about this. and I, I don't have the discipline. Once again, I would remind you that these original disciples failed a lot even after they were walk, even when they were walking with Jesus and Jesus told them to do things they doubted they they sinned they they had personality challenges i mean there was peter that never missed a good opportunity to stick his foot in his mouth there were james and john that when a city rejected them instead of praying for that city and praying for an open door they wanted to send fire and brimstone down on it i mean you know there's some personality issues there was there was judas that that had a issue with sticky fingers that would rob the, the treasury bag. And, and there was the, the Judas the zealot that, that, that didn't like Matthew the tax collector. I would imagine those two guys had some issues together and stuff. And and then when Jesus needed the, the most in the garden and was praying for his life, they fell asleep. Anybody in here ever fell asleep during a prayer meeting? Can I just say an amen? And so evidently, that's not an excuse not to make disciples. You, you can be ordinary. You can, be, you can have some struggle with some sin in your life. You, you can even fall asleep when you pray. And evidently, you can still make disciples. And some people think, well, I'm just not spiritually mature enough. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I just remind you, the disciples had only walked with Jesus for three years. Some of us have been in Sunday school a whole lot longer than that. Some of us have been in church a whole lot longer than that. And so evidently spiritual maturity doesn't it, does it disqualify one from, from making disciples. As a matter of fact, how far ahead of somebody do you have to be in order to lead them? One step. I, I had a friend that was, when we were in seminary uh, led a guy to the Lord and, and, and uh, this guy... After about a month, led another guy to the Lord. And he said, man, I need somebody to disciple him. And my friend said, you disciple him. He said, man, I don't know enough. He said, well, what do you know? He said, I've read the book of John. He we said, well, this guy's not even read the book of John. You're ahead of him. You start with that. The guy didn't know any better but to do that. And guess what? Today, that guy's in the ministry. <laughs> wasn't qualified. Wasn't mature enough. And yet, he was obedient. And God used him in, a, in an incredible way. And that's, that's kind of the point of the message here today is look at the words of Jesus. Look at what Jesus says to these guys that, that doubt him. They're not, Well, not doubt him. I'm thinking they're doubting themselves. I just don't know if I've got... They're hesitating. They don't know if they need to go with Jesus or if they need to go back to the boats or back to the tax tables or whatever. And Jesus responds with these words of assurance and authority. He says, you do what I asked, and I'll, I'll be with you. You do what I ask." And I'll give you what you need to do it. You do what I asked. We'll change the world. Look at what he says. Number one, he gives them the authority they needed. A few years ago in vacation Bible school, we learned a simple but powerful powerful phrase about the sovereignty of God. We taught the children this. God is large and he's in charge. Isn't that good? He is large and he is in charge. Which means Jesus says here to the disciples the same thing. Folks, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Therefore, make disciples. Jesus authorizes us to do what we need to do. And we see demonstrations of Jesus' authority all through the Gospels. We see his authority over nature. They were in a boat one time and a great storm came up. And Jesus, with just one word, calmed the storm. What a powerful, powerful word. Be still. Jesus had the authority to teach when he taught. The people said he taught as one with authority, not as scribes. When the scribes would teach, they would refer to other scribes. They would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so said, or or this prophet said, or this person said. Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus would just, he would quote himself. (laughs) He would quote himself. He he was the authority. He was the creator. He was the inspirer of the Bible. He was the author of the Bible. He quoted himself all the time. He had authority to teach. Uh, the scripture says he had authority over the sabbath day he was lord over the sabbath there were some people that, that complained because jesus didn't keep the traditions of the sabbath and jesus wanted them to know that he was lord over the sabbath which meant this he did not come to add to our workload he came to give us rest he did not come to tell us i want you to try more and do more he said i want you to trust me more and let me do more through you see folks that's that's a fundamental thing that we sometimes miss in Baptist life because we think if we're not busy, we're not, we're not being obedient. And how many of you know you can be busy about doing a lot of stuff and not be doing the right stuff? Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I've come to give you rest. You rest in me. You take my yoke upon me and learn from me. He's the Lord. He has the authority over the Sabbath. He has authority to give us what we need to do. And then he has authority over life and death. A number of times he healed the sick. He raised the dead. And then he has authority to give authority. He gave authority to his disciples to go out and preach in his name, to cast out demons in his name. He gave these men and women that heard him on this day the authority to go and make disciples. And so how can we make disciples? Number one, because we have been authorized by King Jesus to do that. He has all the authority. The whole world is in his hands. Billy Graham once said this, the will of God will never take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. The will of God will never take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. Folks, listen to me. Disciple making is not easy. Church life today is not easy. It is difficult. Sometimes we go through challenges. But listen to me. When we try to do it in our own strength, when we try to figure it out in our own strength, when we try to make disciples in our own abilities and using our own resources, we will get frustrated and we fall flat on our face and we will burn out. But when we go in the full, with the full backing and authority of the sovereign of the universe, when we serve in Jesus' name, amazing things can happen. Amazing things can happen. Jesus blessed these men. And later when they stood before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin took note that they were common and uneducated. But they also took note of this. They had been with Jesus. Jesus gives us the authority we need. The power we need. Secondly, he gives us the process we need to follow. The media has made a big deal in these days about Nick Saban's process. Process. That he uses in rebuilding Alabama's football team and leading them to championships. He talks all the time about the process. And I've got a book on my bookshelf talking about the savings process. And basically, it involves focus, it involves eliminating clutter, focusing on the right, on right now. Don't be attached to outcome. In other words, don't be concerned with winning the game, just be concerned with doing the best you can do on the next play. And if you do that, it'll take care of itself. Mental toughness, mental discipline. You see, saving any football coach, anybody that that wants to win and be successful, has got to have a plan. It's a process. We don't leave it to chance. It's not up to the individual's opinion. It's not up to whatever the the tides or the the culture thing. It's it's an intentional thing. Can you imagine saving having the guys out on the football field and say, God, what do y'all feel like doing today? I know how you guys like, and y'all like some good music so we're going to pump some good music out here for you and y'all get just get kind of boogie out here yeah y'all feel good about yourself yeah maybe, maybe y'all go out and recruit some more people because we need a whole bunch of people in this team to boogie right that's what we need to do or maybe maybe we can sit around and have a fire and hold hands and sing kumbaya together maybe we'll make us all feel included no what does he do he gets out there and he yells at him he screams at them. He says, do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Until they don't like him much anymore. But guess what happens? <laughs> they win championships. Somewhere along the way, the church began to focus on building the church instead of making Disciples. And we focused on having programs and attendance and budgets and, and conferences and all this kind of stuff. And we started worrying about how to get more people to come to our buildings. And so we, we began to focus on making sure we got a young personality in the pulpit, or we got entertainment, or we got events, or we got programs for the kids, and programs for the old people, and programs for everybody, and everybody, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And, and you know what that took? It took a whole lot of money. It takes a whole lot of effort. It takes a whole lot of innovation because what you did to keep them there, you got to do better to keep them there. And people get burnout and we get tired and then somebody else comes over here with more money and a bigger building and they do something and people and we go what in the world (sighs) folks jesus never told us to build the church he said he would build the church he told us to make disciples and somewhere along the road we begin to think we had to be we had to get everybody so trained up in order for them to do anything. And so we have Sunday school. We have gaps in our Sunday school program. We need teachers. But we don't have teachers that can teach. Even though we got people that have sat in Sunday school for years. And we, we have growth that we need to reach people. And touch people and stuff. And, and minister to people. And just visit people. But, but, but we need more people to do that. And, and yet we got people in our church. And every church does this. Every church battles this. How many of you have ever heard of Newpedia? N-U-P-E-D-I-A. Anybody? <clears throat> Newpedia, yeah, some of you have read the book, you don't know. Newpedia was an effort by a couple of guys to put an encyclopedia online. And so they recruited the best and the brightest professors, scholars, scientists to write articles. And in the course of five or six years, they had written 7,000 articles. And they had this extensive review process. and Just, you know, and and they saw it was going to take a long, long time. To get something on the computer. So they came up with another thing. They called, it was called Wikipedia. How many of you have ever heard of Wikipedia? Yeah. You know what Wikipedia is? They said, well, instead of getting the experts to do it, let's just get common ordinary people that have an interest in things. Let them write the articles on things. And so we will take then those articles, and then we'll give them to these scholars, and they can dust them up, and they can check them out for facts and all that kind of stuff. And, and, so, and you know, within a course of a few years, they had 1.7 million articles I'm afraid what's happened in the church is we've be, we become newpedia instead of wikipedia. We've got to figure it all out and have all the ducks and roll stuff in order to go instead of letting everybody and empowering everybody to do what they can do. And so look at the process Jesus gave us. Just real quickly. we've heard this before. There are three participles. We're told, first of all, to go. And this is not a special trip, but this is in the normal course of everyday life. The, The literal rendering of the word is, as you're going anyway, as you're going about your work, as you're going about your study, as you're going about your hobbies, as you're going about your neighborhood, as you're going about your shopping, as you're going about your eating, as you're going about everyday life, make disciples. The disciple-making, in other words, should be a part of our everyday life. Not just a course or not just an event. It's part of the culture, if you will. That's a good word, culture. It drives our attitudes. It drives our behavior. It's a part of all that we do. It's not just another pro. See, we we made it a thing that we do on Sunday night at 5 o'clock. And we killed it. Because discipleship was never... It's like evangelism. We make evangelism. That's something we can only do on Tuesday night. And we... Kill it because we think it's just another event. People say, Well, I've got too much on my plate, and we, we just didn't understand that this is the plate. This is the plate. If we do this, if we do what Jesus wants us to do, it's going to be amazing how much freedom there is in that. Uh, then there's the baptizing. This is my immersion. This is a powerful symbol, not just of getting wet. This is talking about identification, of connection where the scripture says buried with him in baptism and we're raised to walk in newness of life this speaks of a connection we want people to get connected to Jesus as Savior to be identified not only with Jesus but with the church, with other baptized believers we want people to know that you cannot disciple yourself discipleship happens in groups, not alone it's not an individual task but it's a community task It's it's a team on the same journey We're part of it. We're in Christ, and we're in part of His body. And discipleship happens in groups, and not big groups, by the way. This is another thing we've gotten in our church. We think the bigger the group, the better it must be. We get crowds like that, but the smaller groups is where discipleship happens, and that's what we're going to talk about next week about the small discipleship group—one with with three people to five people gathering together to do life together to help one another, to train up one another, to encourage one another, to pray with one another. Not a big Sunday school class where somebody teaches, somebody sits there and there's no accountability or a certain place like this or even bigger churches where well, you can go and you can hide yourself in the church and never have to do anything. That's not what we're called to do. And we're called to be identified. This, this personal identification, this, this sense of being baptized, being all in. And then the final thing is the teaching part. And notice it's not just teaching a lesson, but it's teaching them to observe or to do Jesus' commands. The the word observe means to keep them before your eyes, not just in your mind. This is not a theoretical academic exercise, but a practical life application oriented. We're not just to teach people facts, we're we're to help people do it. We're, We're to help people obey. And this is coaching. This is what Jesus commands us to do to make disciples. To, to coach them up, we have a we have a, a, a the classroom is a life. It's not a not a building, and the textbook is the Bible. Jesus' model for discipleship was this: He took guys with him and he ministered while they watched him, and then he allowed the disciples to help him while he ministered, and then he let the disciples minister and Jesus watched them and helped them and coached them up, and then the disciples ministered and Jesus watched them. That's the model we've been told for years. Try. Try to read the Bible more, try to study the Bible more, try to have a quiet time, try to witness, try to love others, try to forgive, try to worship, try to believe. But rarely are we ever shown how, we're ever trained up, we're ever coached up. We're given no practice and for sure no accountability because we don't want to, for some reason, be accountable. And so some over the years pick it up on their own. They, they read, they have books, they sometimes watch on television, sometimes that's reliable, sometimes it's not. Jesus had a better way. Suppose I decided to run a marathon. And, and and so I go home and I watch a YouTube video. And then maybe I even read a book, maybe even take a class. And I buy me a new pair of running shoes and I start running some when I feel like it, when it's not too cold. But I don't change my sleep patterns. I don't change my eating patterns. I, I don't really change anything else. I, I'm doing it all alone without anybody's help. How many of you believe that within a lifetime, I'd be able to run a marathon. Anybody in the room? No. Why? Because it takes more than trying. Now, suppose I do it differently. Suppose I decide to change my habits, my lifestyle. Suppose I get connected to a runner's group and, and I hire a coach to train me up and hold me accountable and, and set me out a, a, a process to use and, 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 uh, and he holds me accountable. I mean, how many of you think I got a good shot at it then? Some of you still don't because you see me right now. But I, I, would, I would have a better shot, right? Now, I'll say this. It would take longer and it's more expensive and more stuff if I had to hire somebody and 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 then run every day and change my eating patterns and all that kind of stuff. But not if I want to run a marathon. See, folks, it's amazing to me that Michael Jordan, probably the greatest basketball player that ever lived, still had a coach. LeBron James still has a coach. Now, they, they fire him every two years, but he has a coach. The best golfers that play the game, they all have coaches. Matter of fact, some of them have two or three coaches. Uh, I read a story the other day about Nick Saban had the guy, the, the University of Houston head coach in his office two weeks after they lost Ohio State last year because the, the he was the coach that he was talking to was the offensive coordinator for the University of Ohio State, that had run Alabama off the field. And Saban has him in his office. And he's asking this kid that hasn't won much, that hasn't even been a head coach, tell me what you did because I want to learn. I want to grow. I don't understand. You show me what you did. Tell, help me to understand it. And that's one reason why they win so many championships because Saban hasn't got to place yet where he says, I know it all. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. He has him in his office and says, tell me, show me and stuff. That's what the Lord has asked us to do. Can you imagine what would have happened as if, if from the get-go when you were saved, you had somebody come alongside you and said, let me, let me help you. And you were placed in a small group of a few guys or a few gals, and, 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 and they walked with you for a year, two years, helping you have a quiet time, helping you learn how to pray, helping you... Sh- witness showing you what worship is really all about instead of what they're telling you on television all that kind of stuff what a difference it would have made what a difference it makes and the and the great good news is it can happen right now with us here today and there's one more thing though this is the best thing he gives us a promise to rely on he gave us a promise he told these disciples listen you do this and here's the promise I'll be with you every moment to the end of the age he said every moment Every moment. When Joshua took over the leadership of the, of the nation of Israel from Moses. You, boy, you talk about some big shoes to fill. You talk about a daunting task to lead this grumbling group of, of Baptists over across the Jordan River into the promised land to do what they don't want, didn't want to do and that is to fight. You talk about a big task. And Joshua was intimidated. He was scared. But God gives him this word in Joshua chapter 1 verses 5 and 9. Listen to this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. For just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These disciples heard that. And they believed that. And these 11 original men who followed Jesus, every one of them, except John, suffered a horrible death holding on to that promise. And they did not let persecution or hardship or lack of resources or lack of respect or lack of anything stand in their way. And God used them to change the world. Jesus never left them, never forsook them. What a wonderful truth. So who can make disciples? Any believer that's willing to be obedient. You see folks, disciple making is not about big groups and big events. It's a command, not an option. It's it's a commission that we have with the Lord to help us to do this. With his power, he's given us the process. He's promised us his presence. And folks, listen to me. I think that's all we need. I think that's all we need. And so I want to encourage you to believe this. God can use you to change this world. God could use you to change this world. He could use you to change this church. He could use you to change this city if we'll do it. And that's what we're going to try to do. Now, we're going to have some books available next Sunday. You can pick those up. We're going to have some groups that are going to be forming on November, or February the 7th. And you can be a part of one of those groups. And it's for everybody. It's not just for older people. It's for younger people. It's for youth. Folks. Jesus never intended for the gospel to stop with me and with you, with us. He intended for our church and every church to be an equipping center where men and women, boys and girls are equipped to pour their life into other people, to help them connect with Jesus and grow them up so they in turn will grow up and, and be able to reach other people with the gospel and equip them and on and on and on and on. And on. There's a church today in the Philippines that started with a missionary that went there and they gathered 160 people. And they decided to follow Jesus' model. And do the Wikipedia model. And today, they have 75,000 people meeting in 15 locations in the Philippines. And I did it all without a youth ministry, without a music ministry, without a Sunday school program, without all that. Now, we have those things and those are great and we're not going to stop those. But I'm just saying this. We need to undergird those with this whole idea of making disciples and helping people grow up, so they get rooted, so they'll stick, so they'll build, so they can belong. So our kids will not be fragmented over here and you know and stuff. I want my kid. When I was growing up, I wanted my kids around godly older people. We had a seminary uh, class one time on youth ministry, and they the, the professor asked us a question: How many of you, the most significant spiritual person in your life, was eighteen and under? Not not a soul raised their hand. said 25 and under, nobody raised their hand. 35 and under, one or two raised their hand. 45 and under, maybe one or two more. 55 or older, almost every hand went up. Wow. See, folks, we all have the ability and we all have the gifting and we all have the authority and we all have the process. It can be done. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing it would be to see everyone coming reaching teaching ministry let's pray together heavenly father i just uh, thank you for your word and i thank you for the truth of it father and and i thank you for our church that, that works so diligently and so wonderfully to minister to people and yet father the reality is even though there are a whole bunch of churches in our area there are a whole lot more lost people we're not reaching them and we've got to do it. And instead of coming up with and figure out a new way, Father, we just need to go back to the book and do it the way you ask us to do it. And we can, we can be creative in how we do that, but, but you've given us the way. And I just pray, Father, that each one of us would to understand today. I could do that. I could help somebody. I, I don't know a lot, but, but I've been authorized by Jesus. And there's a process. I could, I could, I could help. I could learn that. And I could do it because you're going to be with me. If you could use Peter and James and John, God, you could use me. Help us today, Father. There's some of us in this room today that honestly are hesitant about even salvation. You're not sure that you're worthy to be saved or you know enough to be saved or whatever. And you're standing at a crossroads today. And you've been coming to church for a while and, You've heard the messages and this message has been a lot to the church but it's also been to you that don't know Christ because God has a wonderful plan for your life and you don't have to go through life trying to guess at it we've got a wonderful book called the Bible we've got godly men and women who've walked with the Lord for years that would love to come alongside of you and say I want to be your friend I want to help I want to encourage I want to support you you don't have to do it by yourself. Most of all, Jesus will come and give you a new life and a new set of desires that go beyond what I want to what he wants. And I just want to encourage that if you don't know Jesus, if you've never made the commitment to follow Jesus, then I want to encourage that to do that. He knows exactly who you are and what you've done, and he'll forgive you, and he'll change you. And Christian, today, I just want to encourage you follow Jesus don't don't follow your heart it's deceptive don't follow the the culture it'll lead you astray follow the word of God listen to what make your decisions on the word of God his word calls us to make disciples help us would you come alongside of us and help us we need all the help we can get to do this it's not going to be easy but I believe with all my heart that God's given us exactly what we need to do it right now and he'll give us more as we grow. But we need you today. Some of you need to come be a part of our church. Some of you need to come for baptism. Some of you just need to come up here and pray. Really, really seek God. So Father, we give this time to you. We come just as we are. Help us, Father, to know that you can use us. Just like you used Peter, James, and John to change this world. Nothing's changed. You're still the same, the same power, the same process, the same Bible. Help us today, Father, to believe, to step out in faith, to not go with the flow, but to go.